Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Great to see you this evening. We have got three weeks to answer these heavyweight questions. Three whole weeks. I bet if I took any one row of this building tonight and asked you for all the questions that you have about your faith, we wouldn't even begin to cover all of them from one set of five or six people in three weeks, never mind the thought that we would cover them all. So we're not going to attempt to do that, though you could give Carl a run for his money in a couple of weeks' time. Please do be thinking about what you want to ask. But this evening, we want to start by thinking about how we might posture ourselves in the face of the questions that we have. When doubt might start to set in, when we face uncertainty, how do we handle those questions? Because we can't just store them up in the hope that every so often a little series like this comes around at church. We want to orientate ourselves in such a way that we've got the courage to dig in and the knowledge of what to do with the things that are bothering us. Not just putting a face on, but allowing the things that might be festering, might be causing us to question our faith, to come out so that they can be dealt with. I don't know how good you guys are at pretending. I'm pretty rubbish at pretending. If there's a secret to be kept, I'm useless. Smile on my face all the time. I've got a secret plastered all over it. Absolutely no good at winding people up. Um, See right through me straight away. And um, no use whatsoever at impersonations. So you're saved from those as well. I've lived with a, a married to a Northern Irish man for 18 years. Still cannot do a Northern Irish accent. No, I'm not going to be tempted even to attempt it now. Even Karl Martin's got an accent. Indian for everything, no matter who it is, but at least he's got one. I don't have any. But do you know what? I am absolutely world class when it comes to putting a face on it and pretending that I've got it all together. Pretending that I know what I'm doing. Pretending that nothing really bothers me. And if I'm honest, probably a lot of it has come for good reasons. It's been in the face of fears, lack of confidence, lack of courage, that I guess quite early on, I made a decision that I wasn't going to let these things stop me from being the person I wanted to be and living the life that I wanted to live. If I had let my fears stop me, I probably wouldn't have got out of bed from about the age of five. I certainly would never have learned to swim. I would have no friends who have dogs. I wouldn't leave the house in the summertime for fear of wasps or thunder and lightning happening. And I certainly wouldn't be standing here this evening if I let my fears stop me. So we learn to put a face on things. We learn to function despite our concerns, despite our fears, and despite our doubts. Because if we didn't, they would be crippling. But you know, doubt isn't something to be fearful of or ashamed of. 
It should be something that we could be allowing to help us to grow in our faith. We want to understand it well so that we give it the right place in our lives. And that's what we want to do this evening. So I want to kick off by just clarifying a few things of what I think doubt is and isn't. So what I think doubt isn't this evening, I don't think doubt is skepticism. And by skepticism, I mean starting from that, start, that, that viewpoint that says, I am probably not going to believe you. I am probably not going to believe the things that you say. I'm predisposed to doubt what you're saying. That's skepticism, and I'm not really talking about that this evening. I don't think when I talk about doubt, I'm talking about unbelief either. That place where there is no faith, an absence of faith in our life. We're not really talking about that this evening, nor are we talking about a permanent state of mind where you would be unchanging in your decision to not believe something, to struggle to believe something. I think we're talking about doubt this evening. We're talking about things like hesitation, taking a while to work out what we really think about things. Maybe needing time before we feel confident enough to put the full weight of our faith upon something. Wanting to be surer of how I feel about things. It could be indecision, doubt. It could be that there's, there's this way of thinking that maybe comes from scripture and what I know to be true of God, but there's this way of thinking that I've maybe lived my life in the light of for a lot of years and still my friends or my family think that. And do you know what? There's some wisdom in it too. It has served me well and, and actually it works for a lot of people, but they don't seem to match up. So what I do with that Indecision can be part of doubt. Uncertainty is definitely there when we talk about doubt. Our frailty, our inability to actually know and figure out everything that there is to know in life is part of what it means to doubt. We want to fix things, don't we? We want to know how things should be. But it could also involve a reluctance to trust God to say, God, you are God and I am not, but I will trust you. But I would say that doubt is significantly questioning from a place of faith. And I say that this evening because there'll be a lot of people sitting here who say, I have doubts, I have questions, and I'm fearful about what that says about my faith, that my faith might lack in some way that maybe I don't believe at all. Maybe I'm not really a proper Christian because of the doubts that I have. And so we want to be clear that doubt is asking questions from a place of faith. And that's what we're talking about this evening. So we're saying right at the beginning that it is not wrong to doubt. Doubts come into our lives for all kinds of reasons. There'll be many, many different things that have happened in your life and many questions that you might have that cause you to have doubts this evening. What might some of those be? Unanswered prayers, 
and big questions in life, big questions that maybe come um, from the thinking of our culture or the strong opinion of others, people like Stephen Fry, people like Richard Dawkins, some of your lecturers, maybe your parents have strong opinions that your faith doesn't agree with, but it doesn't give you confidence because these people who you respect disagree with you. Maybe suffering and loss disappointment or disillusionment, where things seem unfair, either in your life or in the lives of people that you love, that causes doubt for you. Insecurity about yourself. Am I enough? Am I really forgiven? Have the mistakes I've made made it too difficult for me to continue on as a Christian? I fall short and my sin is too big. Or maybe hurt from other people, particularly hurts from people who are Christians. How could they behave like that? Really, if that's what following Jesus looks like, do I want it? Experiences in our past might cause us to have questions and not be able to walk the Christian life in the way that we want to, but fears about the future might also do the same. What's going to happen when we die? What will happen to my friends who don't know Jesus? Pressure from others. Perhaps we're the only Christian in a group of friends. Or the failure of others. Maybe we've seen people who've walked with Jesus for a lot of years stop following Jesus. And that causes us to doubt. Many, many things. The reality of this world. Our inability to fix it causes us to have questions. And I think probably most of us will have picked up some cues from a number of places that have told us that we don't talk about those things. That when we go into environments at church or in our communities or any any kind of Christian relationships that you've got, that unless we're with a really, really trusted friend, we probably shouldn't talk about these things. That'll be the right clangor that goes into the middle of stuff and, and the spanner in the works that grinds the group or the meeting or the conversation to a halt. We fear the judgment of others. What will they think about us? They thought that I was somebody who had it all together. Maybe you've got a position of leadership and you don't want to let people down. Maybe we just don't like admitting that we don't know things. And and actually choosing to lay aside our pride and make ourselves vulnerable before other people is a really massive thing to think about us doing. And so we'd rather keep a face on it. We'd rather keep ourselves hidden. And so the question comes this evening about where are our safe places to begin to talk about our doubts? Because that wasn't the time when Thomas asked you to turn to somebody beside you. We don't expect you to just tell anyone. But where are the safe places that God might have for you to share the things that really cause you to question? Because, you know, doubt is a good thing. And we need places to allow it to be a good thing. Because it can be a bit like pain. It's not always good. Doubt's not always good, pain's not always good. But it's like an early warning system. Hello, there's something over here that needs attention. Pay attention to me just now. Because if we don't pay attention to those things, we won't think deeply about our faith. And you know, we want to add to our faith knowledge. 
And we don't want to live a faith that's only skin deep, that's superficial, that's not tried and tested, where we haven't actually put our weight upon the things that we say we believe, where we haven't actually begun to own it as our own. And so where we perhaps find ourselves at a time in life where we recognize that we have borrowed things from other people, we've inherited a faith from others, whether it be a a group that we were part of or a family that we are part of, but recognizing that we have questions that up until now nobody has ever answered because I have never really asked them, but now they're coming thick and fast. These doubts propel us into questioning our faith in such a way that something deeper will grow, something surer, something more certain will come. Frederick Buchner says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. The ants in the pants of faith. Do you know, a living, growing, healthy faith is possible if we handle our doubts really well. I've been a Christian for a few years now, and I can look back quite a long way now. I had my birthday yesterday, I'm feeling it a bit more than normal, how many years there are to look back. But I know if I look back five, 10 or more years, I am walking with Jesus differently from the way I did then. Because I have questioned things, I've read things, I've spoken with people, I've listened to what God's word said, I've listened to what other people said, and I have moved. There are some things that 10 years ago in my life were shaky. I wasn't standing on solid ground. I wasn't sure of who I was. I wasn't unshakable in my faith. But there were other things I held on to really tightly, things that were black and white, things that were really important to me then, that now I hold more lightly. Now I respond to more graciously. Now I'm more open to different ways of thinking. And there are other things that I am more solid in, more certain of, more sure of. So I look back 10 years, I think my relationship with the Holy Spirit has changed. My expectation of God healing has changed. My doing this right now has changed. All kinds of things have morphed and grown as I've dug deep and I've questioned. But I also know that the experiences of life have changed me. Even the hard ones where the doubts have come. When I was 20, 21, I had a an anus horribilis, I think that's what the Queen called it a few years ago. Basically, I knew it stuffed. I didn't know what you called the year where everything went wrong, but it was rubbish. Um, I, I managed to mess up the end of my degree. I confess to that quite often, you're not really being let into a big secret there, which meant I lost my place at teacher training college, which meant all my friends were carrying on doing what they were doing in life, and I just felt a bit stuck, really, because of my own mistakes. Um, A relationship ended, and my grandparents, who had been my stability all through my student years, died on the same day. So, I got a pretty bad year, and I was pretty miserable, um, pretty confused, um, probably quite isolated. My questions were many, and my faith was low. And I didn't know how to talk to people about those things because I feared the judgment. I already knew that I'd made some mistakes and that I didn't know what other people made of me. 
But I look back now on that year and say that it was one of the most significant years of my life where I learned to trust God, where God put my faith to the test in some ways. I don't mean he caused all those things, but he tested it, that I knew that he was the place of certainty and of refuge in those days in a way that I couldn't have learned in all of the good things that happened to me. And so I can look back and say my questions and my experiences, no matter how many uh, times they have made me feel shaky or uncertain, God has used them to do something significant and deep. Doubt can help us grow. However, doubt left unchecked like pain, or really like anything else in our lives, left without any control or any attention, can cause damage, can cause us to feel despair, can cause us to become hard-hearted, can create in us apathy about our faith, could even cause us to lose our faith. James says this, that the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Because you know we're vulnerable when we allow our doubts to linger and to fester because our faith is impacted. We're able to sometimes be stuck in a particular way of thinking if we don't give attention to it. And as we become stuck either in our indecision or our hesitation, life happens. And as we don't make up our mind what we think about things, actually we do make up our mind by how we react and how we respond and how we behave. And before we know it, decisions have been made for us and they may not have been the decisions that we really should have been making. But life moves on and we're left with the consequences of the things that we allowed to happen. And God becomes more distant if we don't allow him to come into our doubts. And we're gonna have a think about how we begin to do that before him. Because the Bible is full of people who questioned God, who didn't take things at first glance, who needed signs, who needed time, who needed care to be able to have the fullness of faith that they wanted to have. And so let's go there. I'm going to take you to the Psalms, full of songs of emotion and expressions of humanity that give me hope, and I hope they do as well. I'm going to read to you tonight from uh, The Message, which isn't everybody's cup of tea, but I think sometimes the freshness of the language, particularly when we're talking about how we feel and how we would express ourselves, can be really helpful. And this one that I'm going to read tonight, Psalm 22, is a psalm of complaint and of painful confusion and of a heart being poured out to God. So you might just want to listen to it. I'm going to read it in a couple of sections, not the, the whole psalm, but just the beginning of it just now. God, God, my God, why did you dump me here miles from nowhere? Doubled up with pain, I call to God all the day long. No answer, nothing. I keep at it all night, tossing and turning. And you, are you indifferent above it all? leaning back on the cushions of Israel's praise. We know you were there for our parents. They cried for your help and you gave it. They trusted and lived a good life. And here I am, a nothing, an earthworm, something to step on 
to squash. Everyone pokes fun at me. They make faces at me. They shake their heads. Let's see how Yahweh handles this one. Since God likes him so much, let him help him. And to think you were a midwife at my birth, setting me at my mother's breast. When I left the womb, you cradled me. Since the moment of birth, you've been my God. But then you moved far away. And trouble moved in next door. I need a neighbor. The psalmist is feeling completely abandoned. And in those verses, he's asking a couple of questions. He's saying, where are you, God? In these first few verses, he's pouring out all these words day and night to God to tell him how he feels. Coming right back at him. Complete silence. He's not hearing God say anything in response to the things that he's pouring out. And he knows that his current experience is so very different to that which his family speaks about from the years gone past, where they've known God's protection, God's provision, God's presence, caring for them. He's saying, isn't that great? But right now, I'm not aware of any of that. Silence is coming back at me. And he asks as well in the later verses that I read, God, why are you not doing anything? My circumstances are rubbish. People are coming against me and they're hardly human in the way that they're behaving and in the way that I'm feeling. He goes on to talk about all the different people that are coming against him like animals. He's obviously feeling a a depraved, a, a lack of humanity in the way that they are behaving and in the way that he is feeling it. And God isn't stepping in and doing anything. He's feeling hated, he's feeling insulted, he's feeling isolated. And like his ancestors, he's choosing to rely on God, but he's not seeing the answers that he wants to see. And worse than that, his enemies that are around him are pointing out, they're saying, look at you, you say you believe in God, but what's he doing? Where is he? What's he doing about your situation? He is feeling completely isolated and rejected by people and by God, and he is sore. His circumstances aren't changing. And his emotions and the behavior of others are raging against his faith. And what do we say to somebody who faces that silence and who faces those unchanged circumstances? Because I don't want this evening to stand with a whole stack of answers that come like sticking plasters that are supposed to make you feel better if that's where you are this evening. Because many of us, if not all of us, at some point in life will experience periods, short or long, where it seems like we just don't hear God like we used to. And we don't see him moving in ways in our lives that we see him for other people and ways that he did for us in the past. And I can't give an easy answer to that. And the psalmist doesn't have an easy answer for that. And do you know what? I am not sure that he is looking for easy answers. That's not what he's asking for. He's bringing himself into a place of honesty and vulnerability before God. So I think it's something deep he's looking for in the face of the things that are coming against him. And so he is able to cling on to some of the things that he knows are antidotes 
to the doubts that he faces. Some of the things that will be like tent pegs that he can put in the ground that will just give a bit of stability and a bit of clarity to how he feels in the midst of the silent time and in the midst of the hard time. So he knows that when he's struggling with things, one of the things that is an antidote to doubt for him is to be completely honest in the presence of God. He brings everything to God in this psalm. He holds nothing back of how he's feeling. He compares his life to other people and he sees that his own situation is really, really lacking and he complains about it. Do you do that? I do that. I am very good at looking at things that other people have and do and the way their lives are and looking at myself and thinking, poor little old me. And I could complain about that to all kinds of people in all kinds of places. But actually choosing to complain to the one who can do something about it, if anybody can, is what the psalmist chooses to do. Even when the one that he's bringing his complaints Two is the one that his complaints are about. He's actually saying, Lord, it's you that I've got the problem with. Yep, I don't like my enemies. Yep, I don't like my circumstances. But it's actually you that my questions are about. Where are you? And the psalmist says, I am choosing God to believe that you are listening to me. Because the faith that it choose, I, I need to have to choose to believe that you are there I'll need just as much to choose to believe that you're not there. Both those positions take faith. And I'm going to choose, the psalmist says, to believe that you are there. But boy, am I going to bring to you everything that is on my heart and in my mind. I cannot take it anywhere else. Because, you know, doubt too often leaves us in a place of isolation where we don't even voice to him the things that are on our hearts. But, you know, God doesn't need us to protect him and he doesn't need us to defend him and he actually doesn't need us to tell him because he already knows but yet the intimacy and the vulnerability in all of the right ways that comes when we choose to say to God these are the things here is my stuff You know it already, but I am choosing to look you in the eye, as it were, and give it to you and say, nobody else can help me with this in the way that you can. Can we talk about this together? And so his honesty brings him before God. And he knows that God is listening, I think. And he knows that the world is broken because he feels it so much. And the God that he brings it to, who is listening, knows that brokenness. And while he might be silent, he actually is still speaking. He's speaking to his heart. He's speaking in ways that we're going to come to in a minute. But right now, what the psalmist is experiencing is silence. If these things break God's heart, if the brokenness of the world and the situation of David breaks God's heart, why is he silent? Why not tell him how he feels? Why do we not hear God responding to this man? Well, the God who is silent in this current experience of David is not silent always. And he actually uses these words of Psalm 22 himself 
you were to fast forward to the New Testament and meet Jesus on the cross, in that place of pain and of suffering, where he takes on himself all of the stuff that was ours to deal with, he shouts out the words that this psalm begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself speaks those words that the psalmist spoke first. Some people wonder whether the psalm is simply written as a prophecy so that Jesus could speak it. But most people who read it say there's no way that that was all it was about. That while David maybe knew that this, this psalm would be used by others in the future, including Jesus, he absolutely felt these words. He absolutely experienced these things. And Jesus knows because he also experienced that blackness, that darkness, that abandonment. But it was in that place on the cross that he gave an answer, that God spoke into the suffering and into the brokenness of this world and said, I am making it new. I am doing a new thing. I am bringing about forgiveness and healing and hope. Sin is dealt with. Victory is won. And one day, there will be no more pain, suffering, sorrow, even questions. Because of what Jesus answered on the cross to all of the questions that we might have about this life. Jesus has gone to the utmost lengths to give us an answer to the deepest questions that we have about who we are and what we're for, what this world is all about and what that means for us. And so as the psalmist clings on to the things that he knows to be true, he says this, I'm going to pick this up again at verse 22. He says, here's the story I'll tell my friends when they come to worship and punctuate it with hallelujahs. Shout hallelujah, you God worshippers. Give glory, you sons of Jacob. Adore him, you daughters of Israel. He has never let you down. Never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He has been right there, listening. You're maybe expecting him to speak, but maybe he's listening. Here in this great gathering for worship, I have discovered this praise life. And I'll do what I promised right here in front of the God worshippers. Down and outers sit at Yahweh's table and eat their fill. Everyone on the hunt for God is here praising him. Live it up from head to toe. Don't ever quit. From the four corners of the earth, people are coming to their senses. They're running back to Yahweh. Long lost families are falling on their faces before him. Yahweh has taken charge and from now on he has the last words. All the power mongers are before him worshipping. All the poor and powerless too worshipping. Along with those who never got it together worshipping. Our children and their children will get in on this as the word is passed along from parent to child. Babies not yet conceived will hear the good news that God does what he says. David knew that he needed to be in the temple. He knew that was one of the places, one of the things that he could cling on to. When he came to the temple, he would hear people speaking out and singing out, declaring the truths about God that he knew he needed to know as a reality in his own life. 
So it's really easy when your faith is shaky to stay away from church because you don't feel like you can sing every song with the deepest conviction that you once did. Because maybe you can't shout with a huge and loud amen to every prayer that other people might pray. We fear that we lack integrity. We feel like we're a bit of a fraud and we stay away. I'm really fortunate that when I have my questions and my doubts, I've got to come to church. It's my job. I don't get the option of staying at home and nursing my doubts and my questions. I come in to the presence of God here and people speak truth and point me to Jesus and it does me good because we need community. He recognizes that, doesn't he? He says to the other people, I need you to sing your hallelujahs. I need you to speak about what God is doing in your life because it gives me hope that once again, he might do that for me. And so we need to be community for one another, community that chooses to be authentic, Community that chooses to be open and honest. Community where I might choose to be the first person to share the stuff that I grapple with and the stuff that I don't have altogether rather than waiting for other people to do it. And we learn, don't we, to carry one another's burdens. We choose to be those kinds of people for one another. And we protect one another where our backs feel unprotected, where others might be coming at us with the fiery arrows that we feel. The community of faith that we've got around us can stand around us, but they can only really do that if they know the stuff that we're grappling with. And David here knows that he needs those people to be that community for him. He knows even though he doesn't really know what church is yet, he knows in the temple he's going to find people who can be like the church can be for us. But you know what? I bet you there are a fair number of people here this evening for whom the church is part of the reason that we have the doubts that we have. My dad hasn't been um, uh, coming to church for anything more than the odd occasion that I invite him for about 40 years, maybe just a little bit less, because of things that happened in the church that undermined his faith. Because the church hasn't been everything that it's been asked to be. Jesus said that he was going to go and he was going to leave to his followers the job of taking on the things that he'd been doing. He said it was better for us that that would happen, that we were going to be the body of Jesus in this world. And so when we look at this world with all of its brokenness, where we see leaders not leading like they should, when we see resources not being shared like they should, where we see people hurting, not having enough in the way that they should, We have to ask the question, why is the church not being the church in the way that it should? And many of our questions are legitimate. But as soon as we start asking that question, why is the church not being enough of the church for my friends or my family or for me? We're not able to point the finger to anybody else without recognizing that the church is full of people like you and me and you, and me. That's the church. It's made up of fleshy people with questions and doubts 
and weakness and hurts, but hopes and dreams and desires for more. And do you know what? God is incredibly patient with his church. He didn't decide sometime in history, well, I got that wrong then. Let's take that all back from them and let's just sort it out for them. He has chosen to trust us. He's chosen to involve us in his plans. He's given us a participation in all that he has for this world. And in the meantime, he's incredibly impatient incredibly patient. He's calling us in for more. He's calling us to step up. But just now he is gracious and compassionate when you hurt and when you have questions. He's patient when we don't live up to our ideals. And so how do we have that posture of patience and yet calling on up and out into more for God's church, that the brokenness of this world and so many of the questions that we have about this world might be answered by the church being more of the church that we've been called to be. It's a challenge to all of us, isn't it? At the end of Psalm 22, David doesn't have his eyes fixed on himself and he doesn't have them fixed on his circumstances. He's got them completely fixed on his future. And on the hope that he knows that lies way in the future, that things are going to be different. He knows that there's a day coming where the rich and the poor will sit together. Where the powerful and those that never got their act together will sit because God is making it new. Because one day kingdom will be all that there is. And in that place, everything will be answered. And all of the questions that we might have will be a thing of the past. C.S. Lewis said that the first words when we get to heaven will be, oh, now I understand. Now I understand. Do you know, as we walk through life, there is always going to be mystery. It's going to be at times like being in a maze. When you're in the thick of the maze, and you don't know which direction to go, and all around you, everything seems to be above your head, and you can't ever quite get to where you want to be. And at times, you find yourself in a dead end, and at times, you find yourself completely on your own. Life can feel like a maze, and it is only God that has the perspective that comes from above where he sees the whole story, the whole piece, how your part and other people's parts fit together, where they're leading, what the dead ends were for, what he was doing as you waited in those places for clarity and for provision and for him to show himself. He could see it all. And one day that will be clear to us what his perspective was. Do you know, we don't like not being God. We want to see things the way he sees things. And the more that we live in a culture that has progressed and has answers, for it feels like everything. We have more answers for why things are the way they are in the world than my parents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents ever had. We know the world isn't flat, but we know all kinds of things as well that help us to think that we are powerful, that we are people of knowledge who are in control and who can 
know things. But you know there are just some things that we will not know and cannot understand because we are not God. And making peace with that in his presence and choosing to trust that he is good and trustworthy and will be good and trustworthy with his knowledge and with his perspective when we can't see it. One day we'll have that perspective, but until then, we trust him. God says to us, taste and see that I'm good. Listen to what my word says about who I am. Read the promises that you find there. Remember how I've been for you in the past. Look to the things that I'm doing in the lives of others and keep asking me, keep coming to me, keep choosing to trust me. Because do you know what? God is not like anyone else. He's not like you and he's not like me. He's not like the people who've let you down and the people that cause you to doubt. God is other. Timothy says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we struggle to hang on to God, when it feels like our grip is really weak and we're losing hold of what really is true and what is not, God has got a grip of us and will not let us go. That would be my biggest testimony of my life is the grace of God that has come to me again and again and again. When I have failed, when I have not been enough, when I've not been able to believe, not been able to answer, not been able to do, not been able to work out. God's grace has come with his care, with his provision, with his presence, with his answers, with his faithfulness in the face of my wandering and my faithlessness and has said, I am still God and you are still my child and I still love you and I am still enough for you and trust me. Do you know in the midst of the darkness of the cross, Jesus shouted out, it is finished, because he knew that God was in control and everything was being dealt with. And the psalmist finishes what he's saying here with shouting out, God does what he says. Will we take him at his word? And when we don't see him answering the things that we think he said, keep asking, keep digging, keep going deep with him. Because there's grace and abundance. There's refuge and a home for us in his presence while we ask these things and while we grapple with these things. And we're just, we're going to experience that just now. Because rather than... Um, coming back up and singing a few more songs. Um, before we do that, we're actually going to stop and say, Lord, in your presence, I need to bring you my words, not the words of anybody else on the screen. In your presence tonight, I want to be honest. I want to be declaring to you and saying thank you to you for the things I know to be true. I'm going to be reminding my heart about them and I'm going to be speaking them out for other people. Because for as many people as there are here this evening with questions and with doubts, there'll be people who can speak faith and truth to us. We want to do that this evening, to speak truth and to speak thanks for what God has done. But there's also a safe 
place this evening to bring the questions and to bring the doubts and to be honest before God. So let me tell you what we're going to do with this space here. My friend Naomi and Aaron have been helping us to get ready for this evening. Down the front here, in this big sheet of brown paper, it says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And it's covered in little cards of promises and declarations of who God is. And we'd love you to come and take one. You can spend time reading what they say and pick up one that you know your heart needs to hear. Truth that you want to speak out to yourself or to others. Over here are some stained glass windows on the floor with lots of masking tape. Yeah, masking tape to make the stained glass windows, but lots of post-it notes. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and we'd love you to write on those. Things that you want to say thank you to God for. Things that he said things that he's done, things that he's been for you, that you want to just remind your heart and speak out. In that corner over there, there's a table. It's got some books, some articles, some blogs, places that you can go because you want to choose to find the answers to your questions. And it's not enough to just bring them in two weeks' time and for Carl to answer them in two or three minutes. You're actually going to dig deep because these things have bothered you for a while and you're not going to rest until you've worked at them a bit more. There's not loads of stuff, but there's a good amount of stuff. Go have a look. Get some recommendations of stuff you can be reading and places you can be going. There is also a little pile of cards where you can start to write your questions for Carl. They're on there. In that corner, an opportunity that you had last week, but you maybe didn't get a chance to take, to write a psalm. And there's some instructions of what to do to be able to tell God what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And then over here, our lovely prayer ministry team are going to be. Because you may, want to, you may just be exhausted thinking about your questions and grappling with the stuff that is hard. And there's a safe place for you to come and for others to pray for the things that you long to see happen and for your heart to grow strong, to be somebody who asks questions from a place of faith and to receive the affirmation and the encouragement that they would bring as they pray for you. If you've forgotten all the stations that I've just mentioned, you go for a wander. Why would you not? So there's an invitation in these next few minutes. There's going to be um, some music played, and we'd love you just to get up from your seats and go and find a place that God might lead you to speak to your heart and grow you in faith. So let me pray for us as we do that, and then there's space and time for you to enjoy before the band will slowly draw us back together just whenever we're ready. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that in our faithlessness and wandering, in our hard-heartedness and fear, in our sin and in our forgetfulness, still you're faithful. And we say thank you. Lord, we choose to believe tonight that when you have felt far off, you promise us that you have never left us or forsaken us, and we believe that. Lord, where we have felt that we've been separated from your love because of something that we have done or because we are not enough, we choose to believe your promises that nothing separates us 
from the love of God. Lord, where we have allowed our questions to grow arms and legs and become so big that they've clouded you, we choose tonight to say that we believe that all things hold together in Jesus and we want to make him the starting point for our questions. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come just now with the time that we have to minister to our hearts and to our spirits and to breathe faith and to speak hope and to bring courage and to point us forward that we might increasingly live a life of faith where you hold our questions and you hold our doubts and we know that you love us and we come to love you more. Lord, would that be what you do with our hearts as we choose to make ourselves honest before you just now? We just invite you to do what you want to do with this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.